Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Day number four of the 12 days of podcasts. Please, Jeff, take us through days one through three. Only because you said please. All right. Day number one, we had Cameron on. Day number two, we had Cord Jefferson, the writer from HBO's Watchmen and Succession and The Good Place on NBC and among other, you know, different outlets. Day number three, we had Tinashe. And today, today we have Bun B. Day number four, we had to bring our OG back, Bun B, the trilogy. He has not been on, it's hard to believe, in 250-something episodes. But we're still friends. No, 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 of course we're still friends. We still text, we still call. No, yeah, real-life friends, but we've never recorded a podcast in all that time since the first time that he sat down with us. Do you think that people will have been missing out on I, our conversations? I 100% do, and that's why I'm so excited about today's episode, because Bun just sits down, talks shit, just because we're friends. And then he leaves. And then he leaves. <laughs> yeah, and we have to still stay here. That's, that's part of the job, Jeff. Yeah. It's a great episode with Bun, but before we get into that, mm -hmm. I want to talk about last night. Last night, we went to dinner with David Cho. We did, we did go to dinner with we David Cho. We got Vietnamese. <laughs> David had a bad cough. Is this what we're talking about? I want to talk about what we did afterwards, oh. which was... Don't don't sound too excited. Well, I, I know what happened afterwards, but yeah, sure. Did, wait, did you think that we were going to talk about dinner with David? I had no idea where this was going. We were going to talk about... We went to Rockwood Music Hall on the Lower East Side because our best friend Greg Mayo has an annual show that he performs around Christmas time. With his band, mm -hmm. doing all your Christmas favorites. I mean, all of them? All of my Christmas favorites. Okay. And one of my favorites. You have a lower bar than I do. Is uh -huh. Dominic the Donkey, which they have never performed in all the years they've done this live show. Yeah, it's an Italian classic. It is. We and grew up in an Italian town. That's right. Well, yeah. Like, take people through some of the people who went to Harrison High School. I mean... Angela Piambino, Matt Mezzancello, Mike Casagano, Jason Giagrandi, Conchetta Artuso, Angelo Krupi, uh, uh, Carmine Zulo, Shinsuke Ikeda. Yeah. A lot of people went to our high school that Shinsuke were Italian. Is we, very Italian. We, we are pretty Italian. You know, we're, we're more Italian than we are Jewish. I know it's hard to believe, but yeah. it's true. I love a good gnocchi. That is, you do, Jeff. I get the gravy. You do, Jeff. Yeah. So I drive a Honda Civic well. with, a, with a spoiler on the back. <laughs> <laughs> facts yeah so <laughs> last night when it came time for dominic the donkey to play mm -hmm. greg got his most italian friend and that was me that was you so i sang dominic the donkey and you killed it killed it it was a lot of fun mm -hmm. shout out to you i put a little mustard on the accent shout out to greg shout mm -hmm. out to the whole band great show great times and for anybody out there who's wondering who's coming up on the next eight days of our podcast you want to tell them you want to know what like we've been teasing it online we might as well just like throw it out there now's the time Anna Maria Casarella, Diane Tremelli, Ricky Cornaccio, Chris Della Bella, Justine Colangelo, Mike Della Gala, Stephen Frioli, Joey Salerno, Jen Iannarelli, Jason Cornaccio, Mark Servideo, Michelle Parisi, AJ Stroza, AJ Conti, Frank Acasella, and Shinsuke Ikeda. Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, aka Partridge Family, aka Rock La Familia. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, aka Getting Deep in That Hole, aka Searching for Baby Jessica. <laughs> Yo, what up? This is Bumpy, aka a trilogy, aka Bobby Ewing, aka Westside Bun. <laughs> yes, your third favorite podcast, Waste Time with It's the Real. Wait, you have that one ready? Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. That was really good. Bun, what's happening? I'm good, because I always, always get caught off guard with this I know, shit. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I want to have one in the box. <laughs> 
Welcome back to New York. Thank Do you realize, for as many times as we've talked through the years, on the phone, in person, hung out, whatever, in your city and ours, we've only done one other interview, like long form, and it was back really? in 2017. My wife feels like every time I come to New York, I come and talk to y'all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is true. Or does she think that we're premium Pete? <laughs> there could be a little bit of confusion there. Yeah, 2017. First of all, we were like still cooking food at the time, right? Which is a weird experience because like people at home have to hear us like having chicken. <laughs> That's why I'm glad I ate before I came here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Don't do the food well, we anymore. we don't do the food anymore. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, it's it's really funny. I was listening back this morning to it, and first of all, sounds really great. So shouts to us for engineering it, right? Sounds good. We talked about the fact that around 2017, there hadn't been an artist out of Houston who really, you know, like took over since the still tipping era right 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 and then if you look at the last like three or four years oh we're back with a vengeance yo yeah. but but travis is not only like the biggest act in the world but he reps for that city so hard oh yeah that's why i i love him so much because Asheroll as a festival could exist anywhere in america right and the kids would come out it would still be a huge sensation and whatever but the fact that he brings it back home and brings all those people back home that's a big deal for the city and the yeah. kids Kids just love him even more for that. When you first heard Astroworld, the album, yes. were you like, yo, this is like the sound of Houston? I was like, this is this is not what I thought it was going to be, but it's actually really good as far as music, right? Like, I feel like Travis is probably kind of like a new age Kanye, even though Kanye is a new age Kanye <laughs> right now. But especially when you listen to like high, Highest in the Room, like mm -hmm. the, when the last maybe 40 seconds of it is very Kanye-esque, you yeah. know what I'm saying? But it's amazing how far he's been able to come, not just as a writer, but really as a producer. Like he's really grown into himself, you know what I'm saying? And he's been able to craft like a very singular sound. Like what Travis does doesn't really sound like anything else that yeah. anybody else is doing. And he's been able to separate himself from the world, but then also align himself even more so with Houston because he didn't necessarily make his musical bones in Houston, right? Right. right. He kind of went through L uh, Atlanta, then kind of through LA. New York a and little so, bit, yeah. And so I feel like there's a concerted effort for him to represent for the city and let the city know that he hasn't forgotten about him because he doesn't make typical Houston music, right. right? So there's an effort for him to be like, yo, I'm still repping Houston to the fullest. Yeah. Right, and if it's not coming through so much with the music, then it comes through with the efforts. Did you have any experiences at Astroworld, the amusement park? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I remember having to sneak in one year. We sneak in through like the pet and zoo area, <laughs> and that that was always crazy because I'm like, I'm I'm scared of goats. The animal? Yeah. yeah. No, Jay Z. Nah, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, Michael Jordan. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very fearful of Michael Jordan. But no, I mean, no, he, his so, jeans are scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like Jenko on steroids. <laughs> But um, but yeah, no. Nah, um, but we used to have fun at Astroworld, and that's where like the Fresh Fest used to come. Yeah. So they built the amphitheater out there. That was years after they built the amusement park, and so that's where you would see a lot of the hip hop concerts. So at. you went to Fresh Fest? Oh yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was, was that wild? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was interesting because you know Houston, as far as concerts go, has always been like not big right like we're very walk up so a lot of concerts are dependent on people buying tickets early in order to finance the, the shows and so houston is very like oh there's a show tomorrow okay i'll go yeah kind of a thing but yeah and our fresh fest was like uh run dmc uh fat boys in concert you yeah know what i'm saying kind of like crush groove on tour right so to speak and yeah no nah, it was it was ill you know what i'm saying to go see the fresh fest tour and then i remember like did um, you wear any adidas 
No, uh, I couldn't <laughs> afford shell toes back yeah, then. Yeah. I was probably in Payless sneakers <laughs> back then. But um, I remember um, the DJ from Houdini. Um, it's not Fresh Kid Ice. That's UTFO, I think. But the DJ from Houdini with the with the green eyes, I can't remember his name right now. But he used to take his sneakers off and scratch with his sneakers. Whoa! And I was like, I was like, okay, I don't even know how people can scratch. <laughs> He's so good at it that he can do it with the sneakers. I can't even do it with my hands. And to this day, <laughs> I haven't been able to conquer the turntables yet. So I'm gonna just stick with the microphone. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Did you want to DJ? I do. I still, I do to this day. I've always wanted. There's certain skills that I don't possess that I'm always like really wishing that I could have. Like. Producing like I can't make beats, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying. I always wish I could make beats, and then DJing like. But there's a certain eye-hand coordination I think goes into it, and I can't even drive a stick, so I think I'm kind of <laughs> reaching, thinking that I could actually DJ. But you can speak the language though, right? Like, so if you like, want something wicked, done, wicked, like, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But when you're when you're talking to like a big crit, or you're talking to like you know somebody that you're collaborating with, Static Selector, whoever. Can you say like what you're looking for and get that well, message across? No, no. I don't, well, the question I don't is, get in how the way. do you communicate it? I don't. I don't get in the way. I just let them cut on beats, and then when there's a beat that I like, um, I just write to it. And then sometimes they'll be like, "I like this beat for you." I was thinking of maybe doing a song like this, and then I'll just write to it. I'm just, I'm very easy to dictate to. Yeah, but there's no beats that are like they're close, but they're just not it. No, I don't have that mm -hmm. in me. Like it's I don't. I don't, I don't go in the studio with like a big crit. Yeah, and be like, dog, I think you missed it. <laughs> yeah. You were so close, but you just missed it. No, I don't, I don't have that kind of gauge as far as production is concerned. I just rap to what I like to rap to, and in certain instances, what the what the producer feels like I should be rapping to. When you were growing up, you know, you have the national acts, right? Like Run DMC and Houdini and whoever. Right. Did you like groups like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Like they were, they were actually cool before I realized they weren't as cool <laughs> as I thought they were. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, no, no, I, I used to love everything because I was just in love with the culture and the art form. So I would listen to everything, and everybody was doing something different. Like Poor Righteous Teachers mm -hmm. were doing something different from, say, a Chill Rob G mm -hmm. that was doing something different from, like, a Lord Finesse mm -hmm. or a Coogee Rap. And I was just trying to figure out what a lot of the slang meant. So hip-hop to me was like a puzzle that you had to solve, especially when, like, the 5% MCs started coming through and you didn't, I wasn't God body or anything. Yeah. So I didn't know what half of that shit meant anyway. And then it started getting to like buck 50 and that kind of stuff. Yep. And so in Houston, you don't have a frame of reference for this terminology. So you got to keep listening to music, keep listening to music until you can sort of divulge the context of what the fuck they were saying yeah. in the moment. So for me, it was just a really like a guessing game, you know, and it I, would be fun to be the first <laughs> dude to be, I know what buck 50 yeah. means. They're like cutting people across the face know, yeah. kind of a thing. Until but, you like come up to New York and like use it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now with the, bar classes are like super popular where it's just like people go up to um like a ballet bar but it's spelled the same way that bar is in houston which is lean <laughs> right right yeah it's very different yeah yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to sit bar with ballet people anyway <laughs> so i probably would pass on that yeah dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince you know it's it's grammy time now right nominations yes. came out and they got on a lot of people's radars when they boycotted the Grammys. Yes. Did that mean anything to you back then? Um, not really. I didn't really understand it because I didn't understand the Grammys like that. I wasn't rapping, I don't think, at the time. I was mm -hmm. still more of a fan. I didn't really understand it until um, we did Big Pimpin' and Jay-Z boycotted, right? But you guys still went. No, I didn't oh, go. Oh, you didn't? Okay. No, no, I didn't yeah. go. I, it wouldn't have been apropos. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. For me to not yeah. go. But then at the same time, I was like, well, we're shooing for this Grammy, though. Like, there's no record bigger. It's like, why would we boycott when we know we're going to win? But, you know, he had something that he wanted to stand for at the moment, and I, I got it, right? There was a lot of 
of a separation between the Grammys and what hip hop was really doing and what hip hop really was representing. And uh, it's crazy because you you know fast forward and now I'm on the board for the Grammy chapter in Houston, yeah. Texas. Yeah. So we're now a part of the process of helping the Grammys to understand it a little better and at the table when it comes to dictating what hip hop, you know, or rap song or best performance and all that stuff really represents. When Steve Stout was putting out those like full like page ads and everything yeah. and there was a big discussion around like the process. Did you feel one way or another? Did you feel like hip hop was underrepresented? That it really was like an older folks driven thing? I felt like we were unrepresented within the organization, right? Like if there's no hip hop people in the organization, then how are they supposed to understand what hip hop means and what it represents? So for me, I was like, you know what? We got to get more people involved in the Recording Academy. We have to get more people joining as members of the Recording Academy and eventually getting into board <laughs> positions, becoming trustees. Like Paul Wall is a very high ranking member within the Grammy Association. So mm -hmm. he's been able to be in the room when a lot of these things came up for discussion and to really, you know, tell them exactly how hip hop felt mm -hmm. about certain things. You know, people like Ninth Wonder mm -hmm. are very deep in the game, Bahamadia, people mm -hmm. like that, you know, who people who really care about the organization and care about hip hop are now joining forces to really help to dictate the message a little bit better internally, right? Because if there's only older white people doing it, then we're only gonna ever have the perspective of older white people. Mm -hmm. We can't just keep sitting on the sidelines talking about they don't know what the fuck we're doing, they don't know what this shit is about. You gotta get in the game. You did end up going to the Grammys for International Players Anthem, right? Yes. How was that to be nominated? What'd you do after you did not win? Well, so we weren't a part of the main broadcast. So there's like two separate Grammy situations. There's one that's like five or six hours long where you just kind of sit in an auditorium and they go through like best salsa, best <laughs> best polka and all yeah. this other kind of shit. You make it sound so great. Yeah, it was amazing. It was really beautiful, especially the polka department. There's a, there a lot of animosity in the room for that. Yeah, underrepresented. But, but my category didn't come up for like maybe three and a half hours. So oh. you're just kind of sitting there. And waiting. So you and showed up comes, on time, yeah, like, yeah, did the red carpet. All of that. And then <laughs> went and sat down in my little folding chair for like three and a half hours. And um and then the, the category came up and we lost to Southside, Kanye yeah. and Common. Yeah. And I was like, I get it, it's a good record, but nobody's nobody's heard this record. Like right. that. It's it's I mean, that was obviously the biggest record in the in the world that year. So Southside. Was, yeah, yeah, of course. So but no, I was just I was just really kind of taken back. Obviously, there's a bit of disappointment because you want to be a winner yeah. in everything yep. that you do. You know, that's what mom said. You yeah. want to be a winner. But, yeah. but I mean, you know, you, you take it with a grain of salt anyway, because I wasn't a board member then. And that was what made me really want to be more active. Do you leave right after you don't win? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, there's no need to stay and watch um, Alicia Keys and... Um, who was it? Nat King Cole or somebody yep. like yeah. that on the piano, like holograms and all of that. Nah, I don't want to be here. I've already done my time. But, you know, as a board member, I kind of understand it a little bit better. I understand the Recording Academy a little bit better. And so I have a, a different frame of reference yeah. now. So. Well, what about the Recording Academy do people like us not understand? Well, I think there's, there's a lot that the, the Recording Academy does that besides the Grammys. Right. Like there's Grammy U where we go into the universities and we try to encourage young people, um, artists and musicians. There's Grammy. Uh, I think it's called Grammy Cares. I can't think of the name right now, but there's an organization within the Grammy Association that looks after musicians. For example, like mm -hmm. um, during Hurricane Harvey, if you lost your equipment, uh, say your piano or something like that during the storm that they the Grammys helps you get new equipment. Wow. And you don't even have to be a Grammy member. Wow. in order to take advantage of this. So there's a lot of things 
that the Grammys and the uh, recording, they prefer to be called the, the Recording Academy now, um, that they do to help musicians out here. You know what I'm saying? They take care of health bills, you know what I'm saying, if you're a recording artist and you're sick. And again, you don't have to be a member of the Academy to take advantage of this stuff. That's dope. So it's all available to you. So there's a lot more that they do than just rate and review people's records and give out awards. When you started recording, did you aspire to get a Grammy? Was it the point of your actual songs or no no i mean we just really wanted to be acknowledged by the people that we looked up to so like for us going to summer jam and meeting big daddy kane before summer jam and big daddy kane's son is with him and he's like yo pimp c my son really wants to meet you he's a big fan of yours and pimp c's looking at his son like <laughs> do you know who your dad is kind of a thing but just to be acknowledged by mc's like rakim follows me on instagram and comments periodically on my pages. And the first time he did it, I was like, who has the nerve <laughs> to take the Instagram name Rakim God MC and use it? Like, how dare you? What if he decides he wants to get on Instagram? And then I go and I look and I realize, holy shit, this is actually the real Rakim. Yeah. You know, so just to be ignited, I remember the first time I met him too, like meeting people like him and Bismarcky and trying to introduce yourself to these people. And they're like, no, I know who you are. I know who you are. You know, yeah, you, you got, you got skills. Same thing with Biggie, like walking up to Biggie and, um, Trying to explain to who we were, and he was like, "No, nah, I know who you are. You, you you're on the Minister Society soundtrack." Where'd you meet him? Up here? I, met, I met Biggie in Atlanta at um, it was a BMG party for Craig Mack because Craig Mack went gold before Biggie went gold. Yeah, right? yeah. So Flavor and Year went was at five hundred, I think. Um, Juicy was at like 460, 470 or something. So they were both on promo tour for Bad Boy, and we both had the same distribution company, and so there was this big party that they were having for Craig Mack and Biggie's just kind of like hanging off to the side and I was like yo that's that's Biggie Smalls right there that was kind of before the whole notorious B.I.G. thing had to yeah, so yeah, yeah, people yeah. were still very comfortable calling him Biggie Smalls and uh, I kind of walked up and introduced you know, it was like me and Pip was like yo we're UGK we, you know, we, we rap we MC he's like yeah I know who y'all are he was like I was riding with eight and I was telling him y'all song was better than his on the society <laughs> soundtrack and um you know it's it's just good to be taken seriously as an MC because we were always about the art, right? Like we knew we had a, a connection with the fan base and knew who we spoke to as artists, but at the same time, you still want to be respected by your um, you know, by your fellow MCs and to have that kind of thing, you know, people that we looked up to, like the Kooji raps and guys like that, actually acknowledge that you are a good MC felt really good. How about anybody regionally? Oh, Scarface. Yeah. Scarface was the barometer for what I wanted to do anyway. I think Pimp C's barometer was probably close to Willie D, mm -hmm. right? But for me, it was about Scarface acknowledging that I was a good MC. And you first met him? Oh, I met him at a skating rink. This would have been in like 1990. Um, were you skating? Um, no, no, no. Was, <laughs> was he? Skating rink? No, 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 no. Skating rinks were usually where hip hop concerts would happen. Yeah, yeah no. In the South. And so. Except for the Fresh Fest. Yeah, Fresh Fest <laughs> happened at Astro. But. And it was like a small concert. It was very early days of the Ghetto Boys. And we were all like freestyle battling in the bathroom. And then he comes in with this other guy named Kay Reno, who is also a highly revered MC from Houston. He's like the original MC, right? Like a lot of us are just rappers. He was like the original MC in Houston. He was very well known for, like he could kill you in four bars. Like he would be done. We wouldn't have to go any further. <laughs> And so we were all freestyling against each other in the bathroom. And I thought I was doing pretty good in the moment. <laughs> and then like Scarface walks in. Scarface, this is when he used to wear suits and the hats and have a cane. <laughs> and then he and Kay Reno walk in and they start rapping. 
and you just realize like you're not there yet oh, right man. like we're still very recreational yeah with this stuff and he's like extremely professional and they just came in and they just bodied us like very easily and then tiptoed right the fuck back <laughs> out the bathroom you know we just left there sitting up against the sink in awe of what just happened how far a drive is it to port arthur um from houston yeah an hour and a half yeah so long hour and a half yeah, yeah. well well no yeah, this, i would so said. the concert was actually in beaumont so we weren't in houston he was in beaumont which is like 20 minutes away from port arthur right on so you know that was as close as he would ever get to <laughs> uh port arthur as far as rapping it's a whole other story with other situations but um yeah and no, i was just amazing to have them walk in the room and like the room goes silent and then they just start just rapping yeah like, in the moment like freestyling and and then walk right back out. Like, excuse me, let me shut this shit down right quick. <laughs> I'll say, shit, shut down. I'm out of here. See y'all in front of the stage. And um, no, even to this day, like even when I think I'm doing it at a high level, I'll go up to face and I'll be like, yo, check this out. I just did this song for my new album and I'll play it. He'd be like, yo, Bunny, that's good. That's really, really good. Let me play you something. <laughs> and then it's like, fuck, this dude still, this dude is still good. There's a, there's a certain connection that Scarface has with language and storytelling. Mm -hmm. I'm just not on that level. You know, I'm very good as far as like a, probably closer to more of a battle MC type of thing, you know, and I can tell a story, but not with as much inflection as Scarface. Scarface is a very deep thinker. Hmm. Um, very who deep else thinker. have you battled that like nobody knows about? Um, there was this kid named JS3. Um, I can't even remember the name of the group. That was like my first like one-on-one -on -one battle. And um, it was over the instrumental to Just Another Day, uh, that OPTA. Mm -hmm. And I got bodied <laughs> like very easily, like not even close. And then he ended up going to jail for murder like six months later. So I'm just waiting for him are to get Are you saying home. that the two oh, things yeah. are related? Yeah, no, no, I mean, he murdered me lyrically. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. But no, nah, it's like, so it was one of those things where I never got a chance to go back and battle somebody that bodied me. Right. So I'm, I'm consistently over the last 20 plus years <laughs> rapping subconsciously against this right, guy that right. I may never even see again in life. Again, since the last time that we sat down with you, we've moved departments. Yeah. And now we have Not a lot bad. of... We have a lot of like beautiful photos on the wall, and one of them that's sitting right behind you is from our friend Lenny S, who uh, was down on the set of Big Pimpin'. Of course, and caught it's on the set of everything. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, for sure. But he caught you guys, you Pimp and Jay, in a moment which is like unlike any other picture that we've seen because Pimp C is is laughing. Pimp C's stomach is showing. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, he's he's wearing like this like button up shirt, unbuttoned. Uh, Jay is there smoking a cigar, and you're there on the other side of Jay. With a really shit-eating grin on my face. <laughs> <laughs> and Lenny told us that uh, Pimp took the Rockaware hat off the table, and he's like, I'll make this shit look dope, and put it on his head. And then that's the picture that he took right there. And that's like, that's like the closing of the video, right? So that's like the last shot in the video. If you look at the video, there's a shot where we're like all in this, like in this room, and everybody's kind of like sitting on the sofa and sitting around the sofa, and Dame Dash is like, pretty much sleep <laughs> on the sofa and he let's just say he had a very rough day that day you know we were drinking straight out the bottle you could see like Hennessy bottles in the video we were drinking very hard all day long Dame had a really rough video shoot like he was he almost destroyed Hype's camera nice that was on the yacht <laughs> um and then this day this is part of the reshoot because Pimp C never made it to Trinidad. Right. Because so this he didn't is, want to. Yeah. He didn't <laughs> want to get on the plane. He was locked up in a hotel room mm -hmm. with Gloria Velez the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And so, which is funny because they were looking for her for the video <laughs> and him for the video. And so we ended up having to reshoot everything in Miami. And this is part of the Miami reshoot. And so that day, Dame was, 
having a rough day again. <laughs> he um, tackled like two girls into the ocean. Like mm-hmm. one of them started like choking on the water. Oh god! And stuff. And he had somebody's like seven hundred dollar eyeglasses on, and they like got <laughs> Just washed went away. away. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I don't know. Dane was very destructive <laughs> in those in those days. How was hype to work with? Hype was amazing to yeah. work with. I didn't get to blow the smoke in that video though. Mm. Like that's the whole big thing. If yeah, you right. Hype Williams video is the guy. Yeah. you get to be the guy that blows the smoke. <laughs> Obviously, Jay Z was the guy that got to blow the smoke. There's a pecking but, order, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, but but this was amazing because most people don't know. Hype Williams directed this video. Um, Little X was a cinematographer. Yeah, and Benny Boone was the first AD. Man, so just all of this amazing talent on set, and in the same week, um, this is like one weekend, and then within seven days, we shot Sipping on Scissor. In Miami at the same time. So, so you guys stayed down there? Pimp stayed. I went back home for a yeah. couple of days and then I came back. And um, Were you living in Atlanta or, or Houston at the time? I was living in Houston at okay, the got, time got, when got. we did this video. Yeah. And um, oh, this was the first. Um, we shot this during the first. What was the BET thing they used to do on the beach in Miami? Uh, Cedar's World. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> but there was, this, I can't remember what it used to be called. The BET used to do this Spring concert. Spring Fling? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the first, but the first spring bling, what uh, spring fling or whatever it's called, was with Loud Records. So it was like Raekwon, Fat Joe, and all of these guys wow. were out there in Three Six Mafia, and that's why they were there. So we were like, "Yo, let's just shoot the video." What a while weird we're out lineup. That's pretty, pretty yeah. different. Yeah, right. <laughs> pretty different. And um, and so it was funny because Pimp had bought the car that's in Big Pimpin'. The he's in like a convertible. Yeah, the Benz. white one. Yeah. Yeah. So he had just bought that car. He bought it for the video. <laughs> You know, and he was the first guy to get the convertible. So having it that weekend, like Raekwon saw, I was like, "Yo, you got the you got it first. And Fat Joe was like, "It's very hard to beat Fat Joe to a new car." By the yeah, way, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It takes a very concerted <laughs> effort to beat Fat Joe in getting a very new, expensive luxury automobile. Yeah, and Pimp was actually like that was something that gained him a lot of respect from like East Coast MCs because most of them didn't really know us personally. Mm-hmm. And so seeing him with the car like posted up on South Beach, like, okay, you cats are really actually doing it right <laughs> now. You know. Which I had like a, I think I had an expedition at the time. I was not. Spent. You weren't the first one to get an expedition. No, no, no. I probably was the first one that had to get an expedition. <laughs> so is it weird now, or like amazing to consider like twenty years in the future? You know, I was with you guys when you were recording with Static, right? right. You did uh, twelve songs in like ten hours. I think it was eleven and a half. Uh, yeah, like but but who's counting? Yeah, right. And and Fat Joe shows up. Yes. And you know, right. Just, that's the amazing part. Not that you were there. Yeah, no, yeah. That that was that was incredible too. Yeah. But Fat Joe shows up and you know just says like, put on the beats and I'll figure it out. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing because I was you know I was a, a you know jealous one still envy fan like oh, I'm, man. you know digging into crates uh, fan him and Diamond D and all those guys. So to actually have like a friendship with Fat Joe and I remember the first time I saw Fat Joe. We were at Jive Records, and Jive Records used to be down the street from a record store. I don't remember the name of the record store, but it was like on one of these side streets. And it was a record store probably about half a block down the street. And we would normally go to the label and then go to the record store. But that was one of the days where we didn't go to the record store. And I'm looking down the street, and I'm like, yo, I think that's Fat Joe (laughs) getting out of that car. And they're like, yo, look at the other dude. This dude is huge. <laughs> and I didn't realize two years later that it was Joe and Pun yeah, yeah, yeah. getting out of the car. And I was like, yo, I want to go say what's up, but I don't want no problems with that other big ass dude. Like whoever that dude is, I don't want no smoke with that cat, right? But it was um, it was amazing. You know, I remember the first time Joe and I really got to talk. We were actually seated um, at the MTV Awards 
I was in a chair. Next to me was Andy Garcia. Okay. And wow. next to Andy Garcia was Fat Joe. And Andy Garcia's daughter was like the trophy girl that year, like mm-hmm. the girl that brought out the Moon Man. Yeah. And so um, it was just, I was in some, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Bumby, Andy Garcia, and Fat Joe, no big whoop. And uh, that was the first time, that was after like Joe had actually started actively losing weight. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he looked like maybe, he was probably 60, 70 pounds smaller than he was the last time I had saw him in like a video or in a picture. And I was just like, yo, how did you get rid of of all this weight and so we kind of talked about that you know one fat dude to another <laughs> kind of thing and um ever since then man he's just been very very easy to approach and um you know i have his phone number i can call him which i don't yeah you, know you don't want to bother fat joe if it's not necessary do you send him memes i do not send him memes <laughs> I, he sends me memes you know what i'm saying did you have to like talk over andy like yes yeah <laughs> which was very awkward because i was a big fan of andy garcia sure you know what i'm saying as an actor and it was just you know, like, hey, man, nice to meet you. Excuse me. Yeah. So, Joe, like, what's going on? And he was trying to figure out, um, okay, who are these two guys? Yeah, and why do the they know each other? Of, yeah, right? like, where do they come? Just who's this big Puerto Rican guy and the little <laughs> flat, fat back kid, or whatever? But no, Andy Garcia is, a, is an amazing guy. He was extremely polite mm-hmm. that night. You know, I was like, excuse me, Mr. Garcia, I'm a big fan and all of that. And he was very personable. What uh, random people have you sat next to on the floor at a basketball game? Um, that's was, a good question. I sat next to uh, Jeff Bagwell. Wow. One time. That was that was a big deal. Yeah. Because um, I was, at the, in the moment, I was getting like more pictures than he was. And so he was like, yo, man, who are you? <laughs> like, well, I'm not you. That's for sure. I'm like, I'm not the man. But right. I do okay. I yeah. Do. But he was, he, he was real cool. We ended up having a few drinks and getting like real cool. Like, you know, I don't have his number like Fat Joe's. Well, but, you know, yeah. But we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll exactly. There. You don't call um, either of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else I have. Is Jeff Bagwell on Instagram? That's a good question. He mm. doesn't necessarily look like an Instagrammer. Right. <laughs> like, I have, I just, I'm trying to think like whatever happens to like these guys, like do they go on yeah, Once they get into the Hall of Fame, they're just yeah. like, I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. But I mean, he's got, you know, he's got one of those He's he's a guy that can eat for free wherever he wants to. Mm-hmm. In Houston, well, in Houston, think. yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I don't know about here, like, yeah, like, not like I can sin- eat for free in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, yeah, yes, in, in our this apartment. apartment. That's yeah. right. Yes, you know, Jeff Bagwell, absolutely not. Ken uh, Caminiti, though. <laughs> yes. What was it like when when you found out that Russell Westbrook was coming down? I I was for it. There was yeah. a lot of people that weren't because they were like, "Yo, who's going to take the last shot?" Mm-hmm. And for me, that's that's pretty easy. Like, if we need to win by one point or if we need to tie by two, then Russell Westbrook takes that shot because mm-hmm. he's a good perimeter shooter and he can drive down the lane. But if it's like if we're down like two points and we're trying to win, like if it's a playoff game and we want to win by one point, then James Harden takes the three because he's a better three point percentage shooter. But if it's a game where they're going to, a lot of times they're going to try to double James and then they'll kick it out to like an Eric Gordon, where if Eric Gordon is hot and having a good game or PJ Tucker is having a good game they can kick it out to those guys and those guys can nail a three that's the Mm -hmm. good thing about this team is that you've got like four or five different dudes that can hit that three-point shot do you see the guys around town no no I don't really go out that much I'm kind of old or even at the (laughs) even at like the Astros games yeah yeah now they will come to the Astros games because the guy that owns the Rockets has some of the best seats at the Astros game so you'll see those guys there for sure um, I hang out probably, I would say, I, I, I would hang out with PJ a lot more because mm-hmm. we're both sneakerheads. Yeah. So I have a really good line of communication with him. We talk about different shoes. Like if I see him wearing some ill shit, I'm like, yo, where did you get those? Yeah. And then like right now I'm wearing the Bread 11s and I got those like super early. So he was like, yo, you got them 11s already. <laughs> and it's crazy because he has this very, very passionate, you know, connection with sneakers yeah. and, and clothing. And it's, 
you know, it's 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 kind of like it's very youthful, mm-hmm. right? He just reminds me of these very young kids who are like, "Yo, I just got the Yeezy," kind <laughs> of a thing. You know what I'm saying? But it's he's a really, really, really nice guy. I couldn't say enough good things That's about dope. PJ Tucker. James, I used to see a lot more often um, because a good friend of mine used to be his head of security. Mm. He passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest in peace, Big Tony. But James is still. I'm I'm going to be seeing a lot more of him because he just invested in this um, high-end luxury watch company Mm. that a friend of mine helped to create, one of my gumball homies. And so I'm like one of the ambassadors for the brand. So he's got to come to Houston and bring him his first watch. um, I want to say like two or three weeks. So I'll probably be seeing James again. But every time I see James, he shows love. He's like, what up, OG? You need anything? You know, I'm like, yeah, about half a million, but (laughs) give or take. But um, no, James is is good, man. You know, he's he's always somewhere in the city showing love. He goes to a lot of different events that people have. He supports Houston people, and you know him and him and Travis have a really good friendship as well. So, um, no, James Harden is the shit, man. Because they all know the Kardashians very well. Yeah, apparently. Did you have a relationship with uh, the Kardashians? No, no. (laughs) How well did you know LeBron? Um, like coming up, I've known LeBron for a long time. I met LeBron actually before he came into. The NBA. I met him in Memorial Weekend in Miami. So I met. How old was he? How old were you? <laughs> I was. I was probably maybe twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. LeBron was probably. LeBron had to be like eighteen. Mm. So I met LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, and Allen Iverson all at the same night at the same party. Whoa. Wow! So they were all at this party. So like, I saw LeBron. I was like, "Yo, you're the kid from Ohio." Sports Illustrated. Like, you're the shit. Yeah. Like you're the shit. And then Melo had just won with Syracuse. Yeah, right? yeah. So I saw him. I was like, yo, you're the kid from Syracuse, man. <laughs> We're both all good friends. Now, the AI interaction was a little bit different. Well, because he's much shorter. <laughs> so And much more gangster. Yeah. So I, I, we, he can we, rap. So I'm with my guy, Sean. Sean, we was like, yo, that's AI over there. I'm like, where? He's like, that's Allen Iverson right there, like right there in front of him. So we walked over to speak, and then like four dudes came out like, yo, yo, where the fuck you go? He's like, yo, I'm, I'm just trying to holler at AI. Hold up, homie. You don't just get to holler at AI. <laughs> And AI was like, yo, that's, that's my man. That's, that's Bum B. I was like, yo, let him through. And I was like, yeah, motherfucker, let me, <laughs> let me through. But um, AI and I have been able to be real close over the last couple of years. You know what I'm saying? He's like a very genuine person. Are you cool with Mike? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you kind of have to be <laughs> cool with Mike to get free Jordans. Um, I just don't play golf. Not at all. That's the thing. I don't play golf. I would have a much better relationship with Mike if I played golf. And they've been telling me this for years. Like, Joe would tell me that. Yeah. Like, yo, if you want to get some up-close time with Mike, you got to play golf. And yeah. then you go to the tournament because Mike has a tournament every year. Yeah. I think it's in the Bahamas or some shit now. But, you know, that's like if you that's really fine. want to. Yeah. I'm like, cool. I go out there and fuck off. And I, <laughs> but I don't, have the, I don't have the shorts for it. I don't have the shoes for it. I don't have the funny hat. Have you tried playing golf? I've tried to play Top Golf. Are you familiar with Top Golf? Like virtual. Uh, like yeah. a game. It's like, yeah. a, well, you, it's, it's, um, it's not virtual. It's actually like an actual golf. Yeah, there's like, like a like, net or whatever. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, that. that it's like a video yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in real life. Yeah, kind of like you yeah. have a real club yeah and you're hitting balls but you're trying you're not everybody really is stopped listening no, at this point by the way there's they're no just like, these idiots don't know how to use wikipedia <laughs> youtube yeah but, um but yeah no i've tried i'm not i'm not good at top golf so i don't want to get out there on the golf course and actually like embarrass people <laughs> and they can't get off the hole because i'm still in the sand trap for 10 minutes <laughs> that is what she said um, <laughs> could we go golfing together yes yeah. okay I, I would love yeah, to very, know that would be but who's gonna be stakes. more embarrassing oh uh eric I was going to say bun. <laughs> I, I think I think, I, mean, I think I got a lot more to lose. Yeah, so. I'm fine with either of these outcomes. Jeff, I feel like Jeff I'd be okay. actually took a course in college. Yeah. Of, that was golf. golf? Yeah. yeah. Did you pass? Yes, it was a pass fail. I got, <laughs> I got paid. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
So that means you're a 60% golfer at best. (laughs) Still better than me. My handicap is like 102 or some shit like that. So it's really... I don't even know what that means. Me either. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just assuming the higher the number, the worse you it's are. It's just a really cool brag. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what's up. Keep my handicap, bitch. Yeah. So one of the reasons that we brought you up here, obviously. Because okay. um, it wasn't to feed me, so I was interesting. <laughs> we were texting one day, and we were talking about horrible video shoots that you'd been on. Yeah, a couple. And you were like, I've got a bunch of stories, and so I would love to hear any and all of these stories. What is the worst video shoot you've been on? That's a good question. Um, there was a video shoot where literally everybody, and I'm not going to say any names, but I'm going to put anybody's business out there. But I did a video shoot, and literally everybody in the video did cocaine except me. Wow. And so there would, you know, we would shoot, and then we would cut, and then everybody else in the video would go to the left, <laughs> and then I would have to like go to the right. <laughs> Right. Um, there was another video shoot that I did where. Wait, did that make things like better or worse? I mean, obviously it was better for them. They were having a ball. I felt very Charlie Brownish in the moment. Um, there was Wait, a video. Was shoot. it a popular video? No comment. <laughs> no comment. If you just go if you go through YouTube and look at a bunch of. Videos, I have to watch all of your videos. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Is this just a, just a way for you to get streams up? But you're gonna look at. It. <laughs> Could be, but um, you'll be you'll find the video. You'll be like, oh yeah. This is the fucking video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody in this video is on coke. Like, it'll be very easy to see. Girls with the Dirty Souths by It's the Real and Bun B. Pretty much. <laughs> you guys went on your, your you <laughs> took your tractor one way, I took my lawnmower the other way. Um, there was a video shoot where a guy rented somebody's car for the video, and he had to, like, pull up, hop out of the car, and then walk over and sell somebody some dope and then get back in the car. Mm-hmm. And so he pulled up, he hopped out the car, did not put it in park. <laughs> Wrecked the person's car oh. and had to buy it on site. Oh, that's rough. That, that Classic was pretty, video. I know. That was yeah. pretty bad. Um, there was a video that I was in where I realized that um, I might want to cover my face in this video because I'm with a lot of people who do very, very wild things in life. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure uh, about this at this moment. So I, I put a bandana on my face, but not realizing that I'd already been in an entire other video oh, with yeah. these people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, and then so we're I aware sat, of that video. But then like I put my hands on the hood of the car. So my whole thing was like, I'm going to kneel on the side of the car and I'm going to put my hand on the side of the car. But the car was running and the bitch was hot than a motherfucker. <laughs> so I'm literally like burning the shit out of my hand. You got to look time. cool though. Um, I'm trying to think of some really bad video shoots. Truck, can you think of a, a terrible video shoot? Yeah, my <laughs> knees still hurt. Like my knees are bad to this day because of that video shoot. Um, what's the longest that you had to wait at a video shoot? Big pimping. Well, because Chad didn't come. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So we were, and hype didn't want to shoot me without him. Oh. So hype is just like, yo. I'm, he's like, yo, we're, yo, we're gonna do this. Fucked up the go. the blowing the smoke shot for you. <laughs> yeah, but I got it back though. So I ended up getting it back in um in the checkup on a video. Oh no, nice. I'm, yeah, blow, yeah. I'm blowing the smoke yeah, in the yeah, Beyonce yeah. video. That's the first thing I went to hype. I'm like, yo, Beyonce's not blowing the smoke <laughs> in this video, right? I'm like, so it's me, right? It's on me. <laughs> All right, Bun, you got it. Um Big Pimpin' was was a pretty, pretty wild video shoot. Like we um we went looking for Juve, right? Where they throw all the paint mm-hmm. and shit in there. And mm-hmm. so we made a left instead of a right and ended in up in like the most gutter gangster neighborhood you could end up in in Trinidad and had to slowly like back away (laughs) from where we were because we realized we had fucked up. Yeah. And we're just in that, okay, we're not supposed to be here at all. Mm. Let's just slowly back up and get back to the vans (laughs) as coolly and calmly as possible. I remember we did a video in LA. We did this video called My Six Foe. It was um, 
me, Mike Jones, and I think Snoop Dogg was in the video. Mm-hmm. And so the first shot was in a blood neighborhood, and they were shooting Lil Easy E in the video. And so the director was from Houston, so he didn't realize where he was at. And so we ended up shooting in the blood neighborhood, and Lil Easy E is a crip. Yeah. And so they started kind of coming out and hitting him up and all of that. And then we went back to the set, and then so they were trying to get Snoop to come. And Snoop was like, that's where y'all at? I ain't coming to that fucking neighborhood. You got me fucked up. And then, like, um, like they started just calling different bloods, like, yo, get over there, get to that park, find that video, take everything kind of shit. Oh, man. And then um, we ended up having to pack up, having to pack up everything and go to, like, a little warehouse and shoot some pickup shots. Damn. I know when you came to New York for the first time, yes. you and Pimp caught a cab and just said, like, let's go uptown. Yeah, we want to go to Harlem. Yeah. Yeah. And where'd they drop you off? They dropped us off on like 146th and Amsterdam. <laughs> oh, yeah, just that popular block. We're just like, yeah, we want to go to Harlem. It's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop your ass off in Harlem. And so the first thing we did was go in a barbershop. Well, right? We went yeah. to a barbershop to get a haircut. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as they heard Pimp talk, they realized we were not from there. <laughs> I still can't believe we didn't get robbed that day. And then we went across the street. Well, wait, were you guys like dressed like New Yorkers? No. No. <laughs> I, I can guarantee. I've never wore a pair of Tim's in, in public in my life. I've wow. tried on several pair. Wow. But they just don't fit right on Yeah. Me, you know what I'm saying? And we went across the street. and got some Jamaican food. We ran around the corner. The dudes from the barbershop told us that the record store around the corner sold weed. So we went around the corner. And got some chocolate tie. And then I remember getting back to the hotel and we called Lord Jamar, who's like our oldest friend in New York. Like, yo, we just we just came from Uptown. It's like, what the fuck was y'all doing in Uptown? Like, we went up there to get a haircut. You don't go to Uptown and just get a haircut. Like, nobody fuck with y'all. And they was like, we was like, nah, nobody yeah. really fuck. He's like, that's it. That's amazing that you guys did that. Do you it's look- like, don't come to Brooklyn and get a bar <laughs> and get a haircut. Do you look at your old pictures wearing like the baggiest clothes, the baggiest t-shirts, and just be like, what was that era? I just left Philadelphia yesterday, and I was with some of the people that used to run Mesquite, mm-hmm. the clothing line. Yeah. And I just started thinking about <laughs> how huge my Mesquite clothing was back then, like 3X t-shirts with 4X hoodies. Oh, my God. Size 44 waist pants, <laughs> like 44 with a 34 inseam, and I'm like a 28 <laughs> at best. Right? If I wear a 30, they're, they're going to be under my shoes. And it's just like, man, what the fuck were we thinking? You can look at even... um. UGK and Jay-Z when we did Big Pimpin' for the first time on BET. And I think I think we had on, I think I might have had on Meskeen. Pimp probably had on like Gino Green or some <laughs> shit like that. And it was just the biggest, baggiest fucking clothes you could ever fucking put on. Do you on. still have like promo t-shirts from back then that are just like enormous? No, no. I, I, I didn't start collecting t-shirts. Uh, my wife was secretly collecting them. Um, I... Secretly, I, yeah, like she would like whenever we would do something and it had it was like a Bumby shirt, yeah. she would take one and and put it away. But where did she put it? Like in the like my wife has much more storage space than I do, mm-hmm. so like she had like basically her own dresser drawer type of shit that was just like all of her shit. Yeah, and so she had like a little space in one of the drawers that was basically just a bunch of Bumby shit, and I didn't see it until we were moving out of one of the houses, and I'm like, what are you doing with this shirt? <laughs> like shit that I forgot that I did. Like me and Wale did a collaboration T-shirt with Commonwealth for Barack Obama's first inauguration. Hmm. Totally forgot I did a Barack T-shirt. Like yeah. I had the Barack logo and everything on the shirt. And um, she had just had kept all of this stuff. Like my first collaboration was a Soul Assassins T-shirt with wow. Chase Infinite. Wow! And DJ Muggs, like years when Chase ago. was rapping, or yes, yeah. this was self scientific. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but he was working at at this at the Soul Assassins store. He was working with Muggs, designing a lot of the merch. And so that was like my first 
t-shirt collaboration Man. and so my wife still had that like all these things that were just these memorable moments of my career yeah and um I, so I didn't have anything the only thing that I kept is the hat that I wore in Players Anthems video I wow. still have that I donated the suit to something but I don't know what or where Probably the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, 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 like, you yeah, know, it's like fine. Once, all the homies, forget yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> but I still, I still have that hat to my day. I don't have any of the free Pimp C hats, but my my assistant manager Bone has all of them. He gave me one. He gave me like oh, a gray nice. and white yeah. one. But he has like all of them, like every color, because we did like a gang of colors of those hats. Yeah, and um, so he had, he still has them. Well, all. that's that era when you had to like, be the real matchy matchy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wear green, green, white shirt, green, yeah. white hat, <laughs> yep. green, white shoes, all of that <laughs> shit. But um, no, nah, man, we've we've had some memorable moments. I'm just I'm just lucky that the people around me have been keeping them because like we didn't video a lot of the stuff in the early days of UGK, so there's really not. Not that deep in archive. For well, us. do you go on YouTube and like find clips sometimes? Or yeah, yeah, I see shit and I'd be like, damn, what were we thinking? Like, I just watched <laughs> the Woodwill video again recently, and I forgot I rode a horse <laughs> in that video, and I probably only rode rode a horse twice in my life, and that was one of wow. them. Wow. The second one was I was maybe three years old, like at the rodeo. My mom and them took a picture of me crying yeah. on a fucking horse because <laughs> I did not want to be on a horse. And I'm glad nobody took the picture of me crying. That day during the Woodwill video on <laughs> yeah. the horse, because I didn't want to ride a horse that day either. Do you get nostalgic? I do. Mm-hmm. I do, because a lot of the people that we started with and, and worked with, they're not around anymore. Mm-hmm. And we don't have videos. We don't have. We didn't take pictures. We didn't shoot videos. We didn't do any of that shit. Mm. So I just have really just my memories. And so when I see certain people, certain people be like, yo, you remember when we were in the car and... um we beat up the dude and the police started chasing us and we got away. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I just forgot about a lot of the delinquent shit that I did back in the yeah, day. Yeah, I'm sorry you don't have video of that. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been it would have been nice. It would have been nice corroborating evidence for the cops. <laughs> What do you think about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Is that something that like you think you have a shot at? Is that something you care about? I, abso- that- I absolutely believe that UGK has a shot at getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The only problem is you have to wait 25, 25 years. years after your seminal body of work. So it's not 25 years from your first album. It's 25 years after what's considered your seminal work, mm-hmm. which for us would be Riding Dirty. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was in 95. So I've got to, it's like next year or like yeah. a year after. Yeah, so yeah. It's like 95 or 96. But we're like one or two years away from me actually petitioning to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think I got a good chance because I can go to Ice Cube, mm-hmm. I can go to L.O., Cool J, and I can go to Chuck D, you know. That's so I think good. I've got a couple of guys. Wait, so how does that work? It, it's it's through writers and um, artists? And- well, you have to be nominated by somebody that's in, apparently. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know how the first guys got in. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but I think, I think that's a part of it. Like somebody that's in a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has to put you up for consideration and then it's like music writers and different people have to actually vote. Vote on it, right, yeah. And then there's a couple of people that have like been up for it for years and never got in. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I feel like, you know, UGK has a has a pretty good chance, as good a chance as anybody for Riding Dirty, because it was a pretty good album. Oh, I'd say, yeah. I'd say so, yeah. I, you know, I think it was pretty good. I think we did okay on that one. Hey, gang, it is Jeff here from the podcast, and Eric is here too. Yo. And we are looking for a Christmas miracle. Yeah. Not just a Hanukkah coincidence. Hey, bless up. Bless up, bless down. We need that manna from the heavens. That's right. Because this holiday season, we thought that it would be great if we would be able to sell to every single state yep. and every single country. By the end of this 12 days. Yeah. So we've already we've already done 43 states out of 50. I mean, it's pretty, pretty good. And we sold to eight countries out of 182, I want to say. Could be better. 
you know, it's not a great ratio. What is the Christmas miracle you're looking for? I think if we're not gonna sell one to Vermont, yeah. or Arkansas, or, or Guatemala, yeah. then we have to sell one to Harrison. Oh, our hometown. Harrison, New York, where we're from. It's a working class town, hardworking people, salt of the earth. You would sell one to Frank Acasella, or Angelina Branca, or Sandy Kalo, or Nicole Zumbo, or Joe Pizzarello, or Danielle DeMacy, or John Signorelli, or Phil Serino, or Amanda Valenti, or Pam Carollo, or Chris Matalise, or Deanna Del Borgo, or Kristen Marcasano, or Tommy Loretto, or Sam Eatry, or Mike Annunziata, or Alyssa Gambacorda, or Mark Denunzio or Vito Ayuni, or Anne-Marie Gentile, or Cara Sarasso, or Dominic Gentile, or J.R. Amorosa, or Paul Gentile, or Amy Arcara, or Casey Arcara, or Rudy Arcara, any of the Arcaras. Any how of about, the Arcaras. How about Mike Machia? <laughs> any of the Machias. There's so many Machias. How many? Uh, uh, Mike Marrero. <laughs> Listen, guys, we want to sell one t-shirt to Harrison, New York. It's thereal.com slash shop. Let's make it happen. What was your collaboration process like with Jeff Sledge when you guys were all working together? It was not a collaborative <laughs> effort. Jeff and I were always better personal friends. Like yeah. Jeff's one of my oldest uh, friends at this point. Um, and like, because we never really needed an A&R, right? Like Pimp C was producing and everything. Yeah. We were probably the only features on a lot of it, except for our friends. So it's not like we needed anybody to go and find us production, help us get features or any of that type of thing. So he's just another body in the studio? Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. And uh, and we did a lot of it from afar because we were always at conflict with the label. So it's never like everybody, you know, guys were always in the studio with us anyway. What is the worst thing that you guys almost did to get back at Jive Records? Uh, rats. Rats. <laughs> Pimp wanted to take a box of rats and Release set them, them in, the, in the office. I'm like, this New York office building, they already got rats. It's not, <laughs> Damn. There's already rats in there. That's not going to be a big deal. That's like Tuesday. Not gonna, but that was that would have probably been it. Was there thought put into like, okay, I got to go get rats. Yeah. I got to go transport the rats. I'm not really sure how, how and then far we, he thought it through. <laughs> yeah. But, but, Release but the rats. I guarantee would you, catch you wild rats? if I had told him, yeah, fuck it, let's get rats, <laughs> right? Then there would have been call, phone calls. Yo, Lord J, what's up? Fam, how can I get like thirty rats? <laughs> right, like it would have been, he would have done it. Like, oh yeah, so had... he was always the wild one, and you were like the more methodical one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you would have had to it's think about cop, the it's logistics. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah. Eighteen years. Good yeah. cop, bad cop. Damn. So like maybe in a conference room, and like you're sitting down and you're being reasonable, and then all of a sudden, okay, like yo, fuck this shit, man. Y'all some hoes. It's a bitch ass record company. Fuck that shit. I ain't giving y'all no music. And he'd get up and walk out and be like, well, I guess everybody understands our viewpoint at this time. Just let me open up this uh, cage. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, appreciate everything. Is our car service still going to be downstairs? Or are we going to yellow cap? One of the Lighty brothers, Dave Lighty, mm -hmm. was an A&R for Jive Records. And I'm almost certain he lost his job trying to... Because it was basically his job was to go down there and get that fucking album and get it done and bring it up. And we were notorious for like going back and forth with Barry Weiss and not doing anything they wanted done so in the time frame. You didn't adhere to deadlines? No. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't take constructive criticism? No. no um, we didn't, feature mean, ideas? No. How could they know what we... They didn't understand us for years. Yeah. Were they, they like, you need to make like a girl's record? No. They were just like, be more... I don't know, just just quit cursing the boss out. <laughs> like, that would be the thing. Like, quit cursing the boss out. But... 
we would feel a certain way because we knew that we weren't getting the same level of attention that a lot of other people were getting. We never got the same video budgets as other people. So you would talk to other artists on the label and just sort oh, of see. Oh, yeah, I was good friends with like Souls of Mischief and yeah. Too yep. Short and E-40 and all these different guys. And, and especially I would always just look at Tribe, mm-hmm. yep. right? And not considering that Tribe was probably one of the greatest groups ever, right? But I just always felt like they gave Tribe everything, like anything they could have wanted. They always had their best videos. They always had a ton of label support. We never got none of that shit. We never got tour support. I didn't know I was supposed to have a publicist until like the third album. <laughs> Right, so it was just so much shit, and then was that like, because they were from New York? Yeah, I think there was a, a big detachment, right? Because you know it's a lot easier for a record company that's filled with New York em- employees to promote and market a New York act, right. right? But they had no frame of reference for what we were doing and what we were talking about. You know, I remember when, um, you know, look at Ryan Dirty in '95, '96, and we we're talking about the swangers and the candy cars and sipping syrup and all of that shit. And they didn't get a frame of reference for it until like 2004, 2005. Yeah. And by then, Pimp was in prison. So it was like they couldn't even capitalize on it. So they watched all these other groups capitalize off what we kept telling them was going to be the next popular trend in hip hop, you know? And so they realized they dropped the ball. They didn't even want to put out my solo album. Um, Rap a lot put out my solo. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Rap a lot put out my solo. And we actually had a clause in our contract that said if one of us died or went to jail, that the other person could replace that person with a number mem- another member but then we had to give back like three or four points what wait <laughs> you guys could replace somebody else yeah so like if, when pimp scene went to jail yeah you could have told had another... him i wanted to do a solo album it was like no but you can exercise the clause in your contract that states if one of you goes to jail yeah that you can just get another member and put them in a group and just keep going as ugk so it would just been me and some other dude like shack yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that w- that's a really good idea. Can you can you tell the story about when um, whose favorite rapper is Pimp C? By the yeah, way. so yeah. can you tell that story? Yeah, yeah. So I remember my first time actually meeting Shaq, and um, I was like, "Yo, you're Shaquille O'Neal." Yeah, I'm Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> He's like, uh, "How's your bro- how's your brother doing?" <laughs> like, he had no interest in me at all. It was just, and this was during the playoffs. This was when the Lakers were playing Philly. Oh yeah, we went to Philly. Um, and we went to Philly to the game, and we stayed in the same hotel with the Lakers. And I finally got to meet Shaq, and he was just like, yo, how's your brother? How's your brother doing? Give him my love, man. Tell him Shaq says what's up. And I was like, yeah, but I'm here too. Like, like I'm here. You know what I'm saying? And I've never seen I've never seen a level of celebrity, but probably until Travis Scott that I saw with Shaquille O'Neal. There were people, like there were maybe five or six guys standing in front of the hotel like waiting with basketballs and jerseys to try to get shit signed. And, you know, people like um, Derek Fisher, mm-hmm. those guys would come out and people would get stuff signed or whatever. And then Shaq came out. And I swear to God, this is not an exaggeration. Traffic stopped. Like cars on the street <laughs> passing in front of the hotel stopped. There was an office building across the street. Windows just start going up and people start sticking their heads out the window. It's like this whole world of people were waiting very, very patiently <laughs> To see if, you know, maybe Shaq will come. And once Shaq came out, the world stopped. It's like a ticker tape parade. Yeah. Like right then amazing. and amazing. Like, right then. Like, as soon as he came out. And then were, there were, like, 15 other dudes that came with, like, basketballs and jerseys who were like, Derek Fisher, who's that dude? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And This was, is Shaq in his prime. Yes. This is Shaq as a Larger Laker. than life. It was, it was amazing to yeah. see, man. You know, Shaq with the Fushnikins, that Shaq. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. As long as we've known you, we've had a similar sense of humor. We like, you know, the same TV shows. We, yeah. you know, can all navigate the internet in certain ways. When did it become, like, cool for you to show that, like, nerdier, less cool side to you as a, you know, professional rapper? I think I think watching Snoop 
mm-hmm. right, was a big part of it. Watching Snoop kind of transform into this very funny guy, comedic personality. I think watching Ice Cube and Ice T particularly go from being these very hardcore figures to like, are we there yet? Kind of mm-hmm. shit. You know what I'm saying? But I think the biggest moment came was I was with I was with Stunner one day. And Stunner was like, bro, you know, you ain't got nothing to prove to nobody, bro. You can do and be whoever you want to be out here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, word. He was like, yeah, man, you want to do TV, all that shit, bro. Do that shit, bro. Niggas know you a gangster. Niggas ain't tripping on that shit. And then I had to really kind of look back. I was like, yeah, they do know I'm a gangster. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't really have anything to prove to anybody from acting tough. Like, I'm 46 years old. If I still got to get in the middle of the street, take my shirt off and beat on my chest, like, I did all this shit wrong. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I got to rethink this whole shit. But, um, and then, you know, I want I wanted the distance between Bun B and Bernard to be as small as possible. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't want to feel like I needed to walk out the house dressed a certain way, looking a certain way, acting a certain way. I just want to be myself, and I'm very comfortable in my skin. Now, if you fuck with me, I will fuck you up. But that existed before Bun B existed. Yeah, right, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I'm just at a point now, like, look, I love The Office. I love Parks and Rec. And that's just who I am. And in 2008, you could still like email with SK over at Not Right or like yeah, yeah. have a relationship with like Misinfo or Two Dope Boys or whatever. And it doesn't have to be like that level of separation between like big artist and blogger. No, no, because I'm, I'm still like a big fan at heart. Right. So I would reach out to a lot of people, you know, basically like, yo, who was that dude? That song I just saw that song. That song was hot. Like, who is that dude? And I just... You know, I'm a personable person anyway, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have a skill that I like to go in a room and make friends. Like, yeah. I don't like to go in a room and be standoffish. I know guys like that. And people just talk about you behind your back. Like, yo, he was just up against the wall. Like, who the fuck do you think he is? Like, yeah. you're not even the most popular person in the room. Like, get off your bullshit. Yeah. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to just be who I am. And people are either going to like it or they're not going to like it. And it just turns out that, you know, people dig it. You yeah. know, me just being kind of who I am. And I've always been... A different dude. I've always listened to like Radiohead and Portishead and Massive Attack. Mm-hmm. And I've never just been like the typical person or even artist, you know what I'm saying? And I think it's important for younger artists to know that they don't have to pretend to be something that they're not. Just be comfortable in your skin. And I mean, if the bass guy can have fans, anybody can have <laughs> fans, you know what I'm saying? Like you should be who the fuck you are and yeah. you're gonna find people that can relate to that shit. Yeah. Was there ever a moment where you did, cause like even I've been accused of having like a big head at certain points. And I, I, I feel like I'm the most like humble. You're not gassed. Yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah, gassed. Right. Have you ever been gassed like at any point? Okay, so here's something a lot of people don't know. I don't like people. Like I have the worst job in the world for who I, <laughs> who I am. And it <laughs> took me a while to learn to not be that person. Like I would walk in, I would speak, but I was, I was a big like proponent of not taking pictures. Like mm-hmm. I just did not like taking pictures. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like, no offense to the photographer. Yeah, shout out to Tommy. But yeah, I yeah. just didn't like, and, and not necessarily taking pictures, but stopping. Mm-hmm. right because i'm very like focused on shit that i'm doing so if i'm going from a to b i don't really want to be disturbed in that process and so my wife was like look you gotta start taking pictures with people like you can't be that person you just gotta start taking pictures with people and i used to be around a, a person that was extremely popular at one point and that was his thing he would take no pictures and people would be like yo i love you gotta take a picture he'd be like no and he wasn't even really doing shit at the time yeah he would just be like no i don't want to take no picture with you and he's gone now like he's done and he's tried at various times to come back to no avail and it's like you can't put yourself in that position you have to remember that for you it may be a dime a dozen but for them it's one in a million you mm-hmm. know and 
you just take a minute out and show love. And now it's like, you know, sometimes my wife can be like, yo, you want to take a picture with everybody? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get the hell out of here. You're and like, I'm, you said so. <laughs> right? I'm yeah, like, also, this is your- she's on Instagram Live. Like, it's, you know, the yeah. whole thing is yeah, baked she runs into. That. It's yeah. so funny when she runs it live, too, because people are like, hey, Queenie, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? And all that kind of stuff. And she's fun. She's funny. Like, engage with her. If you ever see my live go up nine times out of ten, it's her. Please engage with her. She's oh, yeah. hilarious. It's so funny. And also, I just love that you guys drive around and go live. We don't be having shit else to do and we'll just cut it on. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, it's important for people to know that we're real, right? Yeah. And like, we're, we're a husband and wife. We don't get along all the time. Mm-hmm. And so there's sometimes where we'll go live and like, we'll get into it. And I'd be like, cut it off, delete that. <laughs> like, Yo, you can't say that on live. Like, you, you, if you have to be very careful about walking in line, it may look like, you know, you're belittling me. I don't mm-hmm. want to be like John Gosling out here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, we try to be as honest about who we are as possible, mm-hmm. right? Because we have very, very opposing views on the world. We don't agree on a lot of things. And so it's very funny when we go live and she starts talking about things that she loves and I get very indifferent <laughs> about that shit and vice versa. The mm-hmm. only thing we really have in common is the grandkids. Like, we really, really love the grandkids. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, we're, we're good if we're talking about And you both love UGK shirts, so that's good. Yeah, too. well, yeah, probably yeah. her more than me. <laughs> You're very, you'll be very, I'd love to see somebody with a picture of me wearing a UGK shirt. Really? Yes, you'd be hard-pressed to find that. I'm not really good at self-promotion. Yeah, I feel, I feel like very same. pompous in the moment. Yeah. yeah. It's sort I, of like, I can totally see how you could not want to wear this to real shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but then you get bombarded. And yeah, yeah like yeah. the fans are just crazy. It's no, like Shaq no. stepping out in, uh, in Philly, you know? Yeah. Because if you don't wear the shirt, then you're anonymous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just like to, you know, be normal, you know? No, the funniest thing Good is... Good for you for holding on to that. The Thank funniest you. thing is when, like, we'll be somewhere standing next to each other and someone reliably... Well, yeah. Walks up to Jeff and says, "What's up?" And not to me. He's the tall one. Yeah, he I know. Yeah, with glasses. Yeah, that's yeah. true. All, but that being said, Fat Joe does not know who I am. I've never met him, but Fat Joe is like best friends with Eric. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got to win some, right? <laughs> no, I mean, like I'm fine with it. But it was, so last night we went to this event. It was Lior Cohen. It was Tumabasa from uh, all, both of them are from YouTube, yeah. and Rob Markman was interviewing them. Okay. Oh, no. wow. Yeah. It was. A, it was a whole At one time. Yeah. 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 Star studded oh, wow. event. By the way, in the crowd, Fab Five, Freddy, Chuck D. Bill Stephanie, Bill Adler, like it Bones was, Malone. Bones Malone. Jesus, uh, Bones still comes out? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. No one comes out except for like an for event this. like this. Wow. It's like Lior yeah. asks and we all, you know, run down to Vandal. So Oz Cohen was there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so Eric was like, we've been trying to get Fat Joe on the podcast forever. Good luck. And <laughs> I'm still trying to get the Basquiat video done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Eric uh, has gone through like various people within his camp because every single time that eric sees fat joe fat joe is like absolutely i'm going to come through whatever yeah talk to uncle dan talk to you know this person this person this person so eric yeah (laughs) so fat joe shows eric the contact in his phone of who to hit up and so eric's taking it down and by the way eric now has a a clear path to introduce me Mm -hmm. to fat joe doesn't take it Like we will brotherly love, yeah. And so then I like interject to be like, "Hey, also I have funny things to say too, or interesting (laughs) things." And it was just like, "Nope." (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't want want to mess up his friendship with Fat Joe, but well, no, Fat Joe doesn't want to ruin his friendship. Not so cool, brother. Um, I think if you were more consistent with your hair, you'd be more noticeable. You think so? I think that's what it is (laughs) because he's looked the same every time I've ever seen him. Yeah, I'm like Steve Jobs. He's got on a hoodie. (laughs) He's got the glasses. It's just he looks. He's he's six foot plus. Right. He's the same. He does. He doesn't get shorter. No, nope. you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, maybe you should get taller. Oh yeah, that it, it is. It is my fault. He doesn't get LASIK. Yeah, He's I know. Right there <laughs> in the moment. Should I get LASIK? No. Okay. No. Because I saw it, what Hannibal Burris did. 
Hannibal Buress got LASIK. Yeah. And it took his career off. Oh. Mm. Not Bill Cosby. It was a LASIK. It was <laughs> LASIK. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Tell us about meeting President Obama. Okay. Do you remember? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. There was a time before our current wow. time. So I get a call in the summer of 2018. And I don't know this person from Adam. Her name is Francois Desgeron. And who, which is an amazing name. Great name. Yeah. yeah. Sounds fake. Sounds like a, a detective. Right. <laughs> Sounds like somebody that, uh, I don't know, like a thrifter or something. Yeah. Right? Like a gypsy. What's yeah. her name but, again? Um, Francois Desgeron. Wow. Great, great name. It's yeah. amazing. Still name. great the second time. And so she reaches out and she's like, um, she's like, hey, I know that you um, teach at Rice. And um, my husband and I are big in, in um, big endowers of the. God, I can't think of his name now. Only because you guys asked me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, there's uh, James Baker. So mm-hmm. James Baker has a school at oh, Rice yeah. University. The former um, Secretary of State. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, um, so every year they do like the big charity dinner for James Baker, and James Baker interviews someone. So like he done Bishop Tutu. You know, he's done a lot of big guys. So she's like, we're doing President Obama this year, and we would like you to write a song to perform in front of President Obama. And I'm like, low stakes. I'm yeah. like. <laughs> I don't know. I got to check the calendar. <laughs> I, think, I think I got an appointment at Wendy's that yeah. night. Like, I can't pass it up. And so I tell my wife, and I'm like, I'm ecstatic. Like, I'm like, yo, they want me to write a song for Obama. She's like, okay. Because my wife never gets excited about anything unless my grandkids are doing something. <laughs> She's so over Bun B, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they contact me about maybe two months later, like, hey, just reaching back out. We still want to do this. We hope you're interested. This is the date. Right. So I literally block out the entire month of November and half of October just to make sure that we're open for this thing. And then about a month before they contact me and they say, well, um, unfortunately, Obama's coming, but he's not going to be able to give us as much time as we thought he would. So we don't have enough time for you to do the song. But would you still like to come and and to the dinner and meet the president? Yes. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? I, <laughs> and yeah, I got no pa- problem. You're going to pass in the CD anyway. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, so um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna sit on the side, and smoke some trees. That's all good. <laughs> and so as it gets closer, um, it starts to really weigh on me, like how serious this is, because the Secret Service contacts you, and it's like, okay, we need this, this, and that for you and your wife. We have to vet you guys because you're going to be in the same room with the president. And then we get the invitation, and I go through like. The different levels of buying it. So a ticket's like fifteen hundred bucks. Mm. A seat at a table is like ten thousand dollars. To have your own table is fifty thousand dollars. To go to this dinner, um, they're having like a, a, a pre-dinner to the dinner. That's like seventy-five thousand. And in order to take a picture with Obama, it has to be a part of this hundred thousand dollar package. And I'm like, well, babe, we're not, <laughs> we're not going to get to take a picture with Obama or any of that kind of stuff. So just, just forget about that. Hopefully, we'll see him across the room. Yeah. And then they contact me. They say, well, you know, we're going to make sure that you get to take a picture with Obama that night. So don't worry about it. We'll once we get to the venue, we'll be able to work everything out. And so we get in line, and in front of me is a former mayor of Houston named Bill White, and. Um, they introduced me to him. I was like, this is Bumby. This is one of our you know, greatest rappers from Houston. Hey, man, whatever happened to Mike Jones? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's all he wanted to talk about the whole night was Mike Jones. Like, I used to really like that guy. He used to talk about his phone number all the time. You know how you had and, to respond, right? Uh, who? <laughs> <laughs> and so he was, you know, but we were just having a bunch of fun. And then as we get closer in the line, you hear him. 
right? Oh, no, it's okay. It's wonderful. Thank, <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming. And, and it's like, I'm like, fuck. Like Obama. And, but there's a curtain, right? So you can't see him, but you can hear him. And my wife is getting more and more nervous. She start, it's really starting to wear on her that we're actually about to meet Barack Obama. It's a huge... It's a huge deal. Yeah. You know? I don't know if you guys know I'm African American. Oh. So it's a it's a huge deal. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. And um and so like we're right in front of the people in front of us, and I just like I took my phone out and I pushed record. Because I'm like, whatever happens in this interaction, I need to be able to prove that Barack Obama said to me what he said to me. And so we're standing there and we're next up, and it's like um introducing uh Bernard and Chevalier Freeman. And so my wife beeline. Like, <laughs> As soon as they say our name, she's gone. She's around the corner. She's over in front of them. I'm like, yeah, I'm here too. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not boiled cabbage over right. here. And um, he's like, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And my wife had on this gown. Actually, so this is the picture. There it is. Yeah. That's my screensaver. I'm never taking this off my phone. It's great. And he was like, oh, my God, you look like a rose. You look so beautiful tonight. That was it. Yo. <laughs> I was invisible for the rest of the goddamn night. And we take that picture. You can see she's like beam, like her cheeks are all fat. You can barely see her eyes because he's super cheesing. She's hugging him. She's kind of got her arm behind me, but right. not really in contact with me because she didn't want to throw Barack off in case yeah. she was able to shoot her shot that right. night because Michelle wasn't this there. This is my, my ride. Right. This is the chauffeur. Yeah. Just, huh? Oh, no, we got to save that story. We'll say this picture got me out of jail in Mexico, by the way. So we'll... We'll come back to that at another time. <laughs> so make make sure you make a note of that. Yeah. And I'll tell you about Bumby's close calls with the police. <laughs> but it, w- it was amazing, man. It Do you have presence. something planned, like a sentence? Because you're going to go meet the former president. This is your shot to like say like something dope. Yes. So a what friend of say? mine, Justin, was a Secret Service agent and was on his detail. Whoa. So I was like, yo, I'm going to name drop Justin. <laughs> and so I name dropped Justin. I'm like, yo, Justin's a good friend of mine. Oh, what is, what is Justin up to? Now? <laughs> I was like, well, he's, he's pretty much, he's not with the service anymore, so he's just kind of traveling around and living life. Oh, tell him I said hi. As soon as I got out of the fucking part, Justin, yo, I just met Obama. He, said, what's up? <laughs> he was like, what's up with him? my boy Justin? Tell Jay, I said, what to do? Just totally exaggerating everything. Did but he I, know you were Bun B? No. Okay, you were just like I didn't introduce Bernard myself as Bun at B. the dinner party. I could have yeah. been like, yo, I'm Bun B, I'm second on Big Pimp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the jam. That's my jam. But it, it was really amazing. And just to have that picture, like I said, and we have it, and it's signed. So wow. you take the picture, and um, you have to wait. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a professional photographer, like this guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're in the room, and he's the guy that's taking all the pictures that night. And then you have to wait, and then they, they, get, they get your address. And they send it to you, but you have to wait because he signs them all. Mm. So in my house, which I haven't put it up on the wall, it's going to go up in my office, is a signed picture of me, my wife, and Barack Obama. Does wow. it, and does it's not signed by me. Right. It's right. signed yeah. by Barack Obama, which makes it maybe a little bit more valuable. Mm. It was funny because my wife was like, I remember in the last year of his presidency, my wife was like, in the second term, my wife was like, I want to meet Obama. And I was like, we can't meet Obama. Why not? Everybody else got to go. Usher got to go. Wale got to go. This Everybody got yeah. to go. Wow. That I want to. I want to meet Obama. And so I call Roberta. I call yeah. Roberta yeah. McGreeny, my publicist, and I call Roberta. Like, yeah, um, Queenie told me to call you <laughs> and tell you that she wants to meet Obama. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> like it wasn't even far fetched for her. She was like, "Let me make some calls. I'm going to call Reggie." <laughs> Reggie was like one of his personal assistants from the first Reggie Love. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. She was like, "Let me reach out to Reggie," and the Reggie gave her a contact, and they reached out, and it was like, "Well." It's late in the term. He's not really doing a lot of formal events. The only thing left is the birthday party. 
and why you're couldn't not you go to the bathroom? Like, oh, that, that'll work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you're not invited. Like, you know, we've got bigger names. We got, we got to get Usher in here. Yeah. We're not really worried about Bumby. But she never gave up on wanting to meet Obama. And she didn't really realize she was going to meet Obama until she heard his voice. Like, up until, because up until then, anything can happen. I'm sorry, the president has to go. His mashed potatoes are getting cold. Yeah, we yeah, have to get yeah. yeah. Seat. yeah. Wait, then, what did she think you were in line for? <laughs> she knew we were supposed to be in line, but we were in the back of the line. So we didn't know. If he would get tired, because yeah. I get tired of taking pictures every now and then. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's it. I got to go. I'm Bun B. Yeah. The shit. I got to yeah. leave. I'm now. sorry you all paid $100,000. Right. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're out of this bitch. Yeah. And he came late. That was the other thing. He came late because George H.W. was dying. Mm. So he, he went, went to, to go, pay his respects. He respect. went to go pay his respects. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think he died maybe about four or five days after that. Wow. So that, so that was another thing. So that's why the line was so long and the line didn't move because he was late getting there. Got it. And so because the time was getting shorter, we didn't know if everybody was going to be able to get their picture. And then we literally sat at the table next to him. Wow. And um, yeah, so I was like just, <laughs> just flicking it up all day. I have, I have like probably 100 pictures of Obama. In my phone. Send some of them to like Rakim, like just like, you know. I'll DM him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah some I, Instagram. I'll DM shit. Rakim, yeah. God MC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. From one president on, on the good side of things. Right. To the other, you were at the Republican National Convention. Yes. In 2016. Yes. Okay. And, and you filmed there. And then you also went to the Democratic one. And you filmed Yeah, there. I went to both. Okay. Yeah. You're a better man than we are. Um, you gave everyone, you know, equal footing and a fair shot. I tried to. But like when you look at everything that's transpired over the last three years plus, right? And you think about like how far this country has fallen since Barack Obama had just a flawless, well, not flawless, well, but, it, like, well, he, but he laid on, the table. It, it right? really okay. depends on what yeah. side of, this, of the argument you're standing on. Okay, some people feel like Obama was trash, right? Okay, I'll take the Obama was good side. Oh, obviously. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. not those. Jeff? Guys. We're talking about Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm conflicted. What did you feel like in those rooms? And did that set up your expectations for what these last three and a half years would be? Well, I didn't think he would be a as bad a president as he's been. But I tried to tell people he was going to win in like May of 2016. I was absolutely convinced. I had been in the rooms where the Democratic candidates were petitioning and the passion of it. But a lot of it was like catering to college kids and young people. And I'm like, these kids in here aren't going to vote. Like, some of them may, but the majority of these people aren't going to vote. But every single person in a Trump rally was going to vote for Trump. It was a totally different connection that these mm -hmm. people had. The big thing that he did, which was very smart of him, was he stayed away from big, big cities, right? So a lot of the rooms that he went into were in very small towns where he was probably the most famous person that had ever been in that community. So a lot of people were like, they were fans of Donald Trump, right? The reality star person and all of that kind of thing. So they were like very, very taken by the presence of someone like Donald Trump. And he was really good at selling himself to these people. But I mean, being in New Hampshire and hearing him tell residents of New Hampshire that Mexico was the problem for them, yeah. that's where your drugs are coming from. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm kind of from the street. Mm -hmm. You know how hard it is to get cocaine from... Mexico to New Hampshire, like that's. Well, where that's, was that music video shot? The one that you were on with everybody doing coke. <laughs> that was shot in Miami. Mm, okay, so mm. not not New Hampshire. Not New Hampshire. <laughs> no, no, okay. no. And I was trying. To, I would try to explain to people. I'm like, yo, the drugs. Your drugs come from Canada, from like motorcycle gangs in Montreal. Like yeah. that's yeah. where your drugs come from. They don't come from. But I imagine. Or they, or if it's an opioid situation, they come from your medicine cabinet. That's where yeah. the drugs in your family are coming from. But they don't want to hear that. No, no. And they no, don't want no. to hear from you. No, no, exactly. Especially from me. 
But there were different instances where I realized that we were in very tense situations. Um, we would go to venues, for example, and there would be three different sets of security. So there would be Secret Service, uh, Secret Service security. There would be local and state police security. And then there were these dudes like the beige bandits, we would kind of call them. There were a bunch of dudes in very, very beige jackets, right? And they would just be walking around and telling people where they couldn't, couldn't go. So I remember the first time I encountered them, there were three black men that were trying to go from the stands to the floor. And so the guy stopped them like, yo, you can't come down here. And he was like, you can't tell me this is America. This is a free country. He's like, no, not in this room. Donald Trump paid for this room out of his pocket. And he decides who gets to go where. So either you get back up in the, in the stands or you can leave and we will escort you out of here. So it was crazy. I'm like, yo, this is wild. I'm like, I'm finna fuck with these dudes. <laughs> so I had a hoodie on, so I put my hoodie up on my head, right? And I start walking towards the stage and I could see the dude like following me and like in a distance, but he's still like maybe four or five people. So I'm moving real fast through the crowd. <laughs> and so I'm actually making my way to my vice photographer. Mm -hmm. And so when I get there, she's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, oh, nothing. Just this dude's been following me the whole time because he doesn't know I'm press. And I got, I'm just fucking with these dudes. And then he kind of got mad and just walked off. And But there was a, I mean, we were in Low Country in South Carolina and you could see different press. Like, like he did a, he did a, a, a speech and it wasn't like in a venue. It was like, on the farm of a guy that had the largest construction company in that town. And so he had all of his dump trucks and all this stuff like surrounding and like making a makeshift kind of space. And so you could see where the stage was and you could tell that when Trump comes, he's going to drive in the cars and they're going to bring him behind that stage. So everyone is kind of jockeying for position near the stage to get good shots for when he walks up. Yeah. And so as soon as we start making our way, this woman comes over and is like, get back on the riser. Like what? We're just trying to get get back on the fucking riser, or I will pull every credential from your publication. She's like, I know who you are. I know what your angle is. Get the fuck back. Like she, they were serious. Was it Kellyanne Conway? I wish it would have been. Mm. I wish I could have given her a piece of my mind. Yeah, yep. you know what I'm saying. But if, I've never seen this woman again, um, anywhere. But that was she, and I saw her. Well, I never saw her again after he became president. But like at three different places. I saw her and she was like the press liaison and she would literally come up and be like, you, you, and you follow me and everybody else stay here. It was a trip. And then by the time you got to the RNC and you saw all these different people really compromising themselves, right? Like just kind of bending over, you know, saying to kiss his ass. I'm like, they're going to give him this nomination. They were very concerned about it up until the, up until the convention. They didn't know if they really wanted him to right. have the nomination, but then they realized that one, we can't stop him. And two, he has the best chance of engaging the base that we need to beat Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And so they just kind of handed the party over to Well, him. they also didn't care what happened at the top. It was all just like, you know, just fill the courts with judges, just like get their agenda. Yeah, that's the, first, the main thing for them is the Supreme Court. Yeah. Right. Getting conservatives on the Supreme Court. And um, after that, it's about winning local and state elections. Right. And federal elections. And then after that, it's, you know, let's get this money. Fuck the little guy. So we live in our own little bubble here it's all blue here absolutely you live in a red state right how do you deal with these type of issues surrounded well, by maybe or, or do you feel these issues like yeah. on a on a you know personal level oh yeah because our, our governor uh greg abbott is a very big proponent of trump 
Um, I don't know if you remember um, our former governor, Rick Perry. Mm-hmm. There was a time when Obama visited Texas and Rick Perry walked up to him yep. and like gave him a note and was very like cold and shrill. And so yeah. there's very few states that are redder than Texas. Now, the crazy, but it is getting bluer. It is getting bluer, but not where we need it to be blue. Right. Like if we could have gotten Beto to beat Ted Cruz, it would have been a huge shift right. in what Texas looked well, like. Well, you had to you had to feel that wave though, right? I mean, oh that, no, that no, was it was big. Thing. I mean, there was a real effort to get it done. We just couldn't engage enough voters right. to get them in there. But then we still have like they guys like Will Hurd, who is right. You know, campaigns and and serves as a Republican, but is you know, very moderate in his views, right? Mm-hmm. He can kind of go either way. And he's not a big fan of Trump's antics. I'm not going to say he's a big fan, not a big fan of Trump, mm-hmm. but he's not a big fan of the antics. He is right? one of the few black Republicans, right? Yes. Yeah. But I wouldn't, like I said, and I he's, think, and he's I, retiring. He's one of those guys that oh, runs as a Republican in this district, but I don't, but carries himself more like a Democrat. And there's right. a couple of people that are the opposite who run as Democrats, but carry very conservative mm-hmm. views and vote conservatively. So yeah. um, it's, it's just a very, I mean, I think we're almost there. Mm-hmm. I think this next election will kind of show where we are as a state. But again, I, I, I think it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be near impossible to beat this guy. I think a guy like Joe Biden has the best chance, maybe. But still, I just don't. I just don't see enough people voting, right? Because everybody has an opinion, but nobody's really acting. I don't know. I mean, because okay, I I I totally agree with you in that it feels right now like there's no one candidate that has energized everybody in a real meaningful way. Because there's too many candidates. It's too many candidates. And they they keep you know adding more, right? Um, like yeah, two guys just, just joined yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Right? but my did feeling, Bloomberg decide yet? Bloomberg's yeah going in on like the Alabama or I think the thing is that once everything starts to fade away, once all these like caucuses and and the actual primaries start happening, and we all rally behind a candidate, I do think that is it is a possibility. Like we're we're seeing what's happening in Louisiana, we're seeing what's happening in Kentucky, and like all these unexpected places where like. Blue was never on the map. Right. And so, like, there is a possibility to flip the map into a more favorable way. I mean, there's a possibility. But, again, I think there's a lot of places where people are not going to, they're just not going to vote, you know. And the, you know, interaction with voters gets lower and lower every year, right. I feel like Obama was an anomaly. Everybody saw that there was maybe a chance to be a part of history. And so that's why a lot of people were engaged, especially younger black people, people of color, we're engaged, but when the party and the candidates don't necessarily reflect the people of those communities, then they just see less and less of a reason to want to do it. Just like with the Grammys, like guys, like the Grammys are fixed and it's rigged and it don't make sense to get in. I'm like, well, how does it that Outkast can win Album of the Year and Kendrick Lamar can walk away with Record of the Year and all these things? Obviously, there's some truth to this. Obviously, there's always a chance. There's always a possibility. But I see more and more people get disenfranchised. Like this whole, the way that social media works and like the fake news and all of that shit. And Facebook really dropped the ball. Yeah, um, what? You know, yeah. Fa- Facebook really dropped the ball. And so um, they're trying to pick up the pieces now, but I don't know if they can pull it together in time. I I'm, I mean, there's always a chance and Joe has a great chance, but um, those debates, like once they finally get the candidates mm-hmm. in those debates, it's... It's like playing the dozens, you know what I'm saying? Like oh, Trump yeah. is just really, really good at it. He's really like well, even when he's he, like he didn't win the debates last time, right? Like in a, in a conventional sense, Hillary won, right? And like he was following her around, he looked like crazy, right? But yet, you know, the the debates didn't really matter. And in the same way, 
you know, you don't even know if one Trump is even going to participate in the in the debates this time around. Right. Yeah, I guess I didn't really have a second point there. <laughs> well, that's a big enough point for two. Um, yeah. Were you at the Source Awards when Andre stood up there and said the South has something to say? I think I was there. I think I was. I think that I think that is the Source Awards I went to. That's the one where there, that's where Shug. Shug was at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, w- I was at those Source Awards that year. I actually went to the tunnel that night. Really? That was my one and only time going to the tunnel. Did you perform? No, no. Oh. I just went you, to went yeah. to the experience tunnel. the energy. Yeah, I yeah. had never seen a co-ed bathroom. Yep. yep. That was that was You didn't get stabbed. No, okay, I, didn't, great. I didn't get yeah. robbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take the streetway. We took the alleyway. So like <laughs> that long ass walk down the alley to get to the tunnel. Who did you go with? I went with Lord Jamar. Mm. Like all my introductions to New York life was through Lord Jamar. Yeah. Meeting Branson. Branson, yeah. Yeah. All of that shit was through Lord Jamar. The only only other New York experience I had with a New York rapper in my early years was with Keith Murray. Keith Murray took us to Grant's tomb, and be- <laughs> why up here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just because. Well, it used to be parties at like. Oh, that's true. Used yeah, to yeah, be yeah, parties yeah. out there. And then um, I thought it was like during the daytime. Like, oh, <laughs> would you like to go see yeah. Ulysses at Grant's tomb? No, yeah. no. But um, and then also because he knew that we smoked fry. Mm-hmm. And he got wet as well. Mm-hmm. He's like, yo, y'all want to go get high? And we thought he meant weed. And so he immediately took us to Harlem, like right around the corner from the Apollo and pulled up to the stoop. Like, how much wet y'all want? I was like, yeah. oh, we don't want to. <laughs> Why'd you tell me? Why you tell me you want to get high? I don't fuck with these dust heads like this. And he just crashed off. It was crazy because we were actually in the Lexus from the video, which I thought was very interesting. Wow. So it's like the same Lexus you see him dancing on. And he like wow. in the car with him. That was pretty. It's pretty surreal. That's awesome. I mean, what are you doing after this? Do you want to get wet? No, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm performing at night in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. you know, we're only 30 blocks away from where you were. Truck, you want to go get oh, wet? I know. <laughs> Earlier this year, obviously, this is very well known. There was a home invasion. Yes. And you had to take care of it. Yes. And you did take care of it. Yes. And it was a very serious situation for both you and Queenie. Yeah, more her than me. Sure. More her than me. But I mean, you know, just straight up and down, like a real situation. Yes. But was there anybody who thought that you were doing it for promo for your album with Static? No, I don't think so. (laughs) I think there might have been a random comment or two. Right, but you don't really like. It's very hard to plan in home invasion. Oh my god! You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and um, you don't shoot someone. Uh, yo, you for were, promo. You were right? you were trending. Well, no, you get shot. For and promo. we were like, right, right. We were that, like, that happened. We were like, yeah. what? And then it was just like on every news thing. It was just like rapper Bunby. Yeah, yeah. No, like, it was gets it was into a shootout like on People's.com in his garage, yeah. Entertainment Weekly, like all of this shit. Yeah. It was really, really real. Putting, you know, I was like. Because the first day, I remember, you know, we, we actually slept in the house that night. Oh, you right? did? Yeah, we actually slept in the house that night. You didn't have to. No, no, no. And then we woke up the next day, and Queenie was kind of in shock. She was like, woke up and like, wait a minute. That happened. That was real, right? She's like, that wasn't a dream. I was like, yeah. And then from that point on, she was like, I can't be in this house anymore. Mm. And so even when we moved, like, I had to do it with family and, and friends to move because she couldn't physically walk back in the house because wow. in order to get in and out of the house she had to go through the space where everything happened and i remember her first time trying to walk down those stairs and she looked at the bottom of the stairs and saw that space and just had a full-on panic attack and like we would have to literally walk her out of the house with like her eyes covered and stuff so it was it was very real in the moment i i wasn't conflicted at all mm-hmm. in the moment i felt like i did what i needed to do i would have done more if necessary but for her, it was just, you know, having that gun put to her head. And she still, like, even now, when the doorbell rings, she'll, like, freak out a little bit, you know. 
if she's not expecting something. So we got ring, so you can kind of see the movement is coming. And so she knows someone is coming to the door before the door rings. But yeah. like every now and then she'd be like, I remember one day she was in the in the bedroom in the closet looking for something and her phone wasn't by her. So ring like kind of goes off when someone is close. Mm-hmm. There's like a little chime that goes off and then there's the actual doorbell ringing. And when she heard the doorbell ring, she was by herself. And so she just kind of like freaked out yeah. in the moment, you know, so it, it's been rough for her. You know, she's but she's been you know, she's been taking it like a champ. Mm. She's been she's been hanging in there. I'm, I'm super proud of her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and your Mexico story. Yes. Do you want to get into it? <laughs> I'll make it very a long story short. because I hate telling it because I don't look good in this story. But. <laughs> Of all the places to bring marijuana, I brought marijuana to Mexico mm-hmm. because the weed in Mexico is trash. Mm-hmm. And I've you got, get your weed from the bikers in Canada, of course, <laughs> like everybody else does. Yeah, you know, me, shout out to my New Hampshire pilot. <laughs> but Beige you know, it's like, and I've been really good at how I transport my weed internationally because it's not a lot of good weed when you go to some of these different countries or whatever. And that was the one day where I guess I didn't have it wrapped that tight, mm-hmm. and like, and I never get like secondary search. In any country, it's usually just, you know, how you doing? Well, what were you going? All right, boom, stamp, go. Mexico, my first time ever going to Cancun, we only usually go to Cabo. Mm-hmm. So we were going to visit a friend in, in Cancun, and they're like, okay, bring your bags over here. I'm like, okay, this is weird. And then they opened the bag, and I could smell it. <laughs> right? As soon as they opened the suitcase, I'm like, fuck, I know they smell this weed. And they're like, you have... Um, marijuana you have weed the weed in in this bag and i'm you like get wet and i'm like yeah exactly. <laughs> and i'm like yeah yeah there's there's some weed in there so what's up do i go to jail now or what because i just need to figure this out meanwhile my wife is super pissed off <laughs> super pissed off and then they're like well we'll see we'll talk to my supervisor and then the supervisor comes and they're like yeah he has I'm like yeah I, I got weed do i go to jail now like because if i got to go to jail in mexico i want to hurry up and go so i can hurry up and get the fuck out right like i'm telling queen like yo call maxine waters Call Sheila Jackson Lee. Yep. Right? Call yep. all of these people that yep. we've done favors for and let them know I'm in a Mexican jail. <laughs> and, uh, and so the army guy comes over and he takes some stuff down. And I'm like, all right, so what's up? Do I go to jail or what, what are we doing here? He's like, well, we'll see. We'll see. And I'm like, okay. I think I'm starting to see what the real Mexico looks like. Yeah. And then the two cops come over. And then the two cops come over and they get the weed and they start writing up everything. And they're like going back and forth with the army dude. And the army dude's kind of like, just fuck it. I don't know. It's on you guys, whatever. And he walks off. And so I'm, I'm like, I need to know what my wife needs to do, right? I need to let her know what's going on. It's like, it's okay. Um, we'll figure this out. Um, you have a ride coming here? And I'm like, yeah, we got a you know a car service, not a friend or anything. Yeah. It's like a car service out there waiting for us like okay let's go so they walk us out to the parking lot and they tell my wife to get in the car and they say we'll be right back you know what i'm saying i'm like okay this is the payoff moment, right <laughs> this is this is where i have to pay mexican police yeah right I go yeah. to jail yeah i'm totally with this yeah, i got no yeah. problem with this and so they're like um they take me around the corner and they're like you you have uh you have money and i was like well i got a little cash my usually because my wife usually keeps all the cash and so i'm like well I have a little cash. I probably got like two, three hundred bucks in here. I can go on the ATM and get a credit, uh, get some cash right now. It's not a problem. So I pull out my phone. And as soon as I pull out my phone, they see Obama <laughs> on my phone. And then they take the phone. And I don't want to sound racist. I'm like, don't think it's Obama. See, see, it's Obama. No, no money. Just have a good day. Like, so they literally thought it was going to be an international incident. Whoa. Because they're like, 
Sí, sí. ¿Dónde es Obama? I thought they were going to be like, yo, let's charge him a hundred thousand. Yeah, right. You don't get a table with Obama. No, no, no. She looks like a rose. It's okay. Hola, Rosa. But they were like, no, just just go. You're good. Oh, my God. Just go. And I go back to the truck and she was like, what did they do? I was like, nothing. They saw Obama and told me to leave. Obviously, this picture's not going anywhere. Can yeah. you get out of jail? Yes, we can. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. It's always a joy to hang out with you. It's uh, it's always good to hear these stories, and we just appreciate you coming through. Thanks for having me. Obama went in Mexican jail. <laughs> yeah. You can't have a better interview. Than I know. Yeah, great search terms. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Vaughn. Thanks, everyone, for listening to day number four of the 12 Days of Podcast. Jeff, if you want to find out more about us, I'm Eric with Curly Hair. You're Jeff with the glasses. Together, we are It's the Real, no apostrophe, no spaces. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called The Wasted Time with It's the Real. If people want to find out more about what's going on with us, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. It's the real. It's so easy to spell, and yet... We still get messages about the real. Yo, that happened yesterday. That was so crazy. Guys, we have nothing to do with Tamar Braxton or any of the other girls that are in or out of the real. That's not true. We did do karaoke ones with Adrian Bailon. Well, okay. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. Until Adrian comes on the podcast. Splash the beef. Jeff, where can people find us on social media? You can go to at It's The Real on Twitter, at It's The Real on Instagram. You can also go and find us on any streaming platform to find our podcast, including the one that you're currently listening to right now. Just smash that subscribe button. (laughs) Jeff, this is the point of the podcast where we like to shout people out. And I said, hey, Internet, Mm -hmm. in honor of Bun B being on the podcast today, one of the underground kings. What are you a king of? And Jeff, what do people say? Official CQ. So he is the king of sweater swagging. That is very particular. But it also feels like he's coming for Drake's throne. Like, wow. Wow. Like Drake might be the king of sweater swagging. Wow, Jeff. I mean, we should all say that we're Stir the king the of... Stir the pot. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys. It's a vibe that he is the king of music review videos. All right. Lawrence R. Comedy said he's the king of the underground. What feels like that's already taken. <laughs> Villain for life, Alex M said, My man at Webo1013 is the king of kippers. He's a trawler man. I feel is that like a fish thing? I, I have I have no idea, but let's just go with it. King of kippers. King of kippers, he's a trawler man. I'm not a trawler man, I'm a trawler man. No. <laughs> Classic man. I'm a trawler, man. <laughs> Jonathan Davila, who is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. He did an incredible drop for him. That is true. For like three minutes. It's great. All about how everybody else sucks in, uh, in Oklahoma except for him. Uh, he's the king of mixing. Shout out to him. Shout out to him and no one else in Oklahoma. I want to shout out Sir Drippington IV, a.k.a. Drippin' on some scissor. Pretty good. Rod Almighty. He's the king of flipping chickens in a finger licking. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah, I like that. Real CBG. Oddly specific, he says. King of being a grown white French-Canadian man in love with hip-hop. Hey, man. Honestly, it feels like Real CBG is looking for a date on here. <laughs> He's like, hey, ladies. If you like a grown white French-Canadian man in love with hip-hop, let me be in love with you. Nav fan account. He's back? He said he's the king of Nav fan club. No shit. Agree. Strictly stacking season. 
True Ralph 103. Say King of the Leaf Gods. Now the Leaf Gods mm-hmm. are high-end rolling fronto leaf rollers. So smoking that leaf, smoking fronto, and they are the kings of that. Well, he's the king of that, and they are the king of that. Understood. Our guy Abu Kalves out there in London Town and said he is the king of writing articles on classic grime. Cash Money Josh with the late entry. He yes. always has the late entry on these things. He says he's the king of laying around on Sundays. LOL. Ray Rodriguez, one of the three. Yeah. Well, this this is our Ray from Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah, formerly of Long Island. Right. Said he's the king of mushy sentiment and Chipotle. <laughs> That needs to be a t-shirt. Yeah. If Ray wasn't married, I would say that Ray is looking for a date on here as well. <laughs> You're all kings in our books in another chapter of the 12 Days Tomorrow. Jeff, as always, not for real, for real. For sure. We'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs>